0: Greetings, folks. Time for another Dark Spider Cast episode. Woo, boy. Uh, <laughs> the, inter- the internet is quite a flutter now with a uh, plethora of news, but of course, one particular moment in history that I just don't think anyone's going to be forgetting about anytime soon. Like, this is going to be talked about for years. Whether you like it, or love it, or hate it, or just laugh at the memes like I've been doing these past couple of days, it's here to stay. Quite frankly, and I wish the best for all parties involved. Of course, I'll talk about that I- eventually, but for now, I just want to say, you know, how do you guys welcome to another episode of the Dark Spidercast Cast podcast? And I'm doing uh, pretty, pr- pretty well, things considered. And by all things considered, I mainly mean because of the work flow, it's starting to get hefty again. There was a little lull towards the end of last week, but now it's starting to get a little crazy again due to some. Uh, client needs, so I'm going to try to do the best that I can, but uh, admittingly, I'm getting to the point where I'm going to have to start making my concerns a little bit more vocal about deadlines and timelines and all these other things that are being asked of, of me and other people involved and other people that are part of my team, other people that are actually feeling a little bit on the same page, if you will, and so... I don't know, there's there's quite a... And it's funny because it really does boil down to the client level, not so much the job level, if that makes any sense. It's not so much like the specific... uh, needs of the job, or the title of the job, or the agency that I work for, it really is just the client or the account, you know, it's kind of like if you were working at a law firm, and you don't really have problems with the firm, but the client who hired the firm has these specific needs, or these, you know, rules that they're like, I want it to be done this way, and so you're kind of like, how am I supposed to work with that, so, or like in the film industry, where you know, when you see someone get attached to a project and then afterwards they drop out due to creative differences kind of feeling a little bit of that going on right now so we'll, we'll see we'll see how that kind of unfolds later down the, uh, the, the line i'll give it some more time but for now things are looking a little um a little weird plus i still this is after all just a residency job who's to say that I, i'm gonna stay you know that we still have those uh, unknowns to keep in mind and because of that just to be on the safe side i'm, I'm really thinking about starting up a new um a new uh, resume, just just to stay on the safe side. I'm not saying that there's any kind of like signs or signals or clues that say that I am gonna be dropped or I'm not gonna be kept on, but just to kind of cover basis, you know, create a new resume with this one in mind, just to kind of pitch around and see if there's any any fish that are gonna be biting, um, so to speak, just to, like I said, cover my ass, if you will, because the plan was going to be that if I was kept I would start doing two things. A, build a new desktop PC, a, a very capable rig for editing and content creation, possibly even going back to streaming in the future. but that's kind of a, like a huge maybe. And then the second thing was to finally move out with the girlfriend, start looking for an actual place and actually you know move closer to LA, move closer to the business and make things happen. But if I'm not capped, that's for sure gonna have to take a backseat, you know, and it's very disappointing, because this would be, like, the second or third time this has happened, but we'll we'll see, because at this point, it really is out of my hands, the only thing I can really do is just continue to be, uh, continue to try better, like, Doc told, uh, Peter, you know, how are you, trying to do better, that's exactly what I'm trying to do here, trying to do better, speaking of Toby's Spider-Man, I do have plans here. Another thing that I'm trying to juggle here, you know, it's ironic because one of the things that I pitched was a mock-up or a parody of the, why can't I hold all these limes meme? I don't know if you guys have seen that meme. It's basically a static image of a dude holding a bunch of limes for no apparent reason. It's like a stock photo, um, but it's been memed to death, like all over the internet. It's this guy like trying to hold all these limes. And so I actually pitched that as an idea, but just to kind of have a twist that caters to the client's uh, I don't know if it's gonna go through, to be honest. But it's ironic that that's virtually or metaphorically what I'm trying to do here with so many different things, because I'm also trying to create for the for the job. But likewise, as I'm recording right now, I am looking at a setup here where I have two green canvases or 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 uh, I don't want to say it, fabrics, yeah, two green fabrics. One kind of propped up up against my usual backdrop of like stacked collector's edition boxes, and then another one just laid flat on the table. And the reason why I have all of this set up is because I want to create a green screen effect to hopefully start incorporating more stop motion animation into my videos, specifically a video that's going to be going up this Friday. Not going to say anything more than that, but let's just say that if, you, if you're, if you you know, it, this is probably the only piece of the medium that I'm going to say this on only because I've I just feel like as of right now, I don't think there's there's an awful lot of cross-pollination happening between between the people that listen to this podcast and the people that are actually checking out the niche channel or the content on the niche channel. But let's just say that I have a video set to go up this Friday, but if you're keeping up to date with the actual dates of the calendar, you'll probably get a, an idea of what this Friday's video... Oh, yeah, this Friday's video is going to be about or it's going to be uh, playing on, so... And that's where the, a little bit of that stop motion animation is gonna be uh, playing into, but I need to get started on this because, uh, you know, Friday's coming up here real, real fast, and so if stop motion's gonna be involved, a lot of preparation needs to also, you know, kind of take into effect here. So I got that. I'm juggling that. I'm juggling... Uh, this content for work, and then of course, you know, just keeping track of um, you know, the my channel analytics, this new channel blowing up, trying to make make sure what content I can create so that will hopefully be better, et cetera, et cetera, all these other different things. So, yeah, yeah, it's been a really busy past weeks, so much so that, you know, in terms of like what I've been catching up as far as news and details and all that stuff, even over the weekend. I've been kind of, you know, skimming on through, one of which did hurt me, Uh, which, you know, sadly, I'd never like to open up a podcast with sad news. But I do have to kind of pay my acknowledgments and and respects to Taylor Hawkins, who passed away over this past weekend. Was it this past weekend or was it earlier last week? I think it was earlier last week. Taylor Hawkins, who was the drummer for Foo Fighters ever since 1997, passed away at the age of 50. Uh, I really did feel... The shock, the, the the impact when I opened that news story up on on Twitter and I saw the news headline right there. It said Taylor Hawkins passed away, and instead of right there, Foo Fighters drummer. I was like, wait, is this really is this really happening? At fifty, relatively speaking, that's pretty young. I mean, I know that all the Foo Fighter fighters guys, uh, Dave Grohl in particular, like they're all crossing the fifty year threshold and, and whatnot, but they're still looking pretty good, and even he looked good. Taylor Hawkins, he looked kind of jacked. So. I know, as of the time of this recording, they have not released uh, the, the, the details around his death. You know what, what were the circumstances, um, and it's funny because this made me think of a different case that did end up starting to trend again on Twitter, which was Bob Saget, who passed away at like sixty one or sixty two, something like that. But the circumstances of his death were pretty obscure for that first uh, month or so until finally they. Re- they released saying that it was something related to head trauma, and a lot of people are kind of like, in a in a hotel room, like, you know, not his house, like, I don't know, I don't know, like, there were certain details and circumstances that made people kind of squint their eyes, kind of feeling that a little bit as well with Taylor Hawkins, but of course, not going to make any more assumptions of that, because we don't know, you know, and, and you know, at the end of the day, it's not our real right to know. You know, if the family wants to keep it private, then let them keep it private. I, I you know, they, they have the right to hold that, but at the same time, we also have the maybe not the right, but the option to feel a certain way, to to have an opinion about this. You know, because I know, even though I'm not in the camp, I understand of some people being in the camp of like, well, he's he was a public figure. I think that there's some things that we, you know. People who loved him, even as fans, even as people who you know kind of followed his music, should know about. Um, So yeah, it's a very gray area, kind of matter. It is sad at the end of the day to know that you know one of my favorite bands lost their drummer. And it's what I guess makes it just weirder and surreal for me is that not too long before I saw these news break on Twitter in real time. Like I, I watched it happen in real time. Like I was on Twitter and I refreshed, and within like. Ten, it said right there, like ten, fifteen minutes ago, breaking from uh, Hollywood Reporter. Or I can't remember. I think it was Variety saying Food Fighters drummer Taylor Hawkins passes away at age fifty. It said right there, ten minutes ago. So it had just broken as I was watching TV with, with my girlfriend, and uh, yeah, that that's the thing that what made it surreal for me was knowing that few days before seeing this news break. I was watching the Hot Ones episode with Dave Grohl, where Dave Grohl came on Sean Evans' show, Hot Ones, where they eat the buffalo wings and they kind of escalate on the, the spiciness of the of the hot sauce. Uh, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? The internet show on YouTube. And Dave Grohl was on there. And, it's you know, all these episodes are very insightful because obviously they have the hook, which is that they're eating spicy wings and it gets hotter and hotter and spicier and spicier and you don't know if the, the celebrity's going to be able to take it. Um, but... The thing that makes me stay the full 30 minutes that each of these episodes are is most of the time the guest being very compelling with the stories that they're telling and and the 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 information they and the advice they have to, you know to, to lay down. Dave Grohl was no exception. He had a lot of stories, an awful lot of stuff to talk about as far as Foo Fighters' knowledge and history and music and and you know drumming and all that stuff. So. It's crazy that literally early last week I was watching this Hot Ones episode with Dave Girl, and then days later this news breaks out, posted by the Foo Fighters official Twitter page, that was you know quote retweeted by Variety, um, and just imagining what Dave Girl and the rest of the band members, and then of course Taylor Hawkins' family is just going through, uh, of this sudden passing as as they mentioned it. So like I said, it would be nice to know the details and circumstances because 50 is quite young these days to pass away just suddenly like that unless there was something um going on that wasn't made public like yeah you because know, I know like these days an awful lot of celebrities like to keep their battles with like cancer or stuff like that private and, and they, again they have the right to but at the same time some people you know that were connected to a public figure like this it's like saying it's like certain um, things coming to light recently where a public figure doesn't want people to know about like no I you know I don't you, you know like there's certain there's only so much that you can go forth and not address without being a public figure. I you, you know what I'm saying like I'm not saying pull all your dirty uh, dirty laundry out there. I'm sorry if I'm having trouble speaking. here. I'm trying to like articulate the thoughts here. But at the same time, I know at the end of the day it's the decision for the family. So if the decision is to keep it private, okay. Does it make the optics look kind of weird? Yes. But what else can we really do except to just respect the wishes and the privacy at this time and then just kind of move them forward and pay tribute? And that's pretty much what the, the majority of the music uh, industry was really doing over that weekend, uh, as far as like Twitter and Facebook posts and Instagram stories and all that stuff, telling a bunch of great stories about Taylor Hawkins, about how great of a spirited, great guy, and great drummer he was for the Foo Fighters. And how he was pretty much... And I do remember, like, every time that the Foo Fighters were involved with something that was not only music, but also, like, a skit or anything like that. Specifically, the most recent movie they released, Studio 66, a horror movie. uh, An awful lot of the trailers... I mean, obviously, Dave Grohl is the front man. He is the face of uh, Foo Fighters. uh, And he's very outspoken. He's a personality. But I would say, in, you know, in quote-unquote second place, Taylor Hawkins would be right behind him, kind of like, as his, like... um. I don't want to say sidekick, but whenever there was like a skit involved that required comedy or whatever, Dave Grohl would give most of the punchlines. But next to his side, Taylor Hawkins would always have some kind of extra thing to say to make it a little bit funnier. So I remember him vividly popping out and being almost just as vocal or close to being as vocal and as uh, personified as Dave Girl really was in those things that Foo Fighters was involved as far as like comedy or skits or anything that didn't 100% have to do with music. So yeah, it, it, this bums me out. And Trust me, hearing Foo Fighters either in my car or at the gym. Most recently, I've been hearing a lot more in the gym, and then whenever my dad's which which is on the radio because he has a lot of classic rock playing in the background whenever he's like paying taxes or doing something on the computer or, or writing something up or whatever. Um, make no mistake, this past weekend they were playing an awful lot of Foo Fighters, and then you know posting trivia about Taylor Hawkins and mentioning him and doing all these things like that. So. RIP Taylor Hawkins. Um, this was a bummer to um, open the the podcast, so but it happened between this episode and last week's episode, and I felt like I needed uh, this portion of the podcast to at least pay my respects. And also sad, maybe not just as sad because you know losing Taylor Hawkins was, was a bummer, but it's also the bummer to see the reputation of someone that was probably looked up. from a lot of people, I was trying to see if that sentence was correct, but seeing someone who was kind of idolized for being very poised, very cool, you know, he he always kept it together, lose it over the weekend, of course, you know who I'm talking about, Will Smith, and the slap heard round the world at the 94th Academy Awards, and what more could I possibly, what other kind of gasoline can I put down on this fire (laughs) now I know that since then he he, he, uh, both him the uh, actually all three him the academy and Chris Rock have all posted statements uh Will has publicly apologized to Chris uh the academy says that they don't condone the violence And then Chris said that, hey, you know, as a comedian, this is, you know, these are some of the things that you sometimes have to like take in stride. And we saw how Chris really reacted. Like, I think the person that comes out on top here out of this whole situation objectively, like, I think everybody could agree on this, is Chris Rock. The way that he was, he literally took a slap. Uh, You know, people are saying that it was like a punch, but it was more like a really, 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 really hard slap. Um, But then just, Continued on with the show. He didn't continue to go after Will or escalate the situation. He was just kind of like, hey, let's calm down. All right. Anyways, I'm here to deliver this this award and moving on. All right. And I'm out. (laughs) Um, Surprise. uh, It's genuinely crazy that he's not putting charges or, you know, he has reason for charges or a lawsuit, and yet it seems like he's not doing it. So, yeah, if someone is looking really, really good right now, it really is, in fact, Chris Rock. So much so that I think I just saw something light up on Twitter earlier saying that, hit, that <laughs> the ticket sales for his one of his upcoming uh, comedy acts, his stand-up acts, is actually surging. It's actually exploding and going through the roof. So, uh, uh, much respect to, to Chris Rock, and I feel like he kind of does deserve that a little bit. So, as far as where I stand on this whole Will Smith uh, slapping issue, I just, man, it's just so crazy. And again, that's the layer that makes it all shocking is knowing that it's Will Smith. If it was someone who has had a history with problems like Ezra Miller, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, another story that just recently broke out, then, you know, we. in fact, that's probably how a lot of people are reacting. For those of you who don't know, Ezra Miller was, uh, I think just yesterday at the time of this recording, arrested in Hawaii because he was at a bar and he assaulted someone who was trying to sing karaoke. Maybe it was because... He didn't like the song picked or the actual quality of the singing, but nevertheless, if he, whether he was intoxic- intoxicated or not, there was no cause for this, and so he got arrested. and There's a mugshot now floating about. Granted, what makes this what you know kind of has a lot of people, including myself, reading that story about Ezra Miller and going, Yep, and that was gonna happen again again is because it's happened before there's that f- infamous video of him tackling down a fan who, or at least uh someone that was considering themselves to be a fan uh there's different kind of sides to the story that maybe the person this this girl i think it was was uh uh kind of following them around and and you know do you know kind of suffocating them and, and doing things like that. And so Ezra Miller tackles them down. It's just what makes that video weird is that it looks like they're both at fault. Like the fan was being a little too much, you know, up close and personal where they didn't need to be. Whereas Ezra, they were like not only tackling them down, you know, create, like they didn't like snap. They didn't like, you know, have this, this like, like, oh my God, like, like break boiling point or breaking point. They like slowly go up to the fan and then, like, grab him by the throat and then start pushing down in a very serial killer kind of way. I've seen the video, and I'm like, that looks weird. Like, what is going on here? So there's no real um, black or white way of, like, standing on that video. I feel like they're both at fault. But there is a history there with Ezra Miller. So this arrest popping out a second time is like, yeah, this guy or this person, they might need some help. Uh, so... With Will Smith, that's what makes it also shocking is that it's Will Smith. Yeah, there's that incident where he slapped that dude at the red carpet, but the dude legitimately was, like, being, you know, it, just like this fan. You know, they were out of bounds. You know, they, he, he was he was trying to kill, uh, kiss Will Smith, invading his pri- uh, personal space, and I'm like, oh, dude, you, you, can't, you can't be doing that. You can't be doing that. You can't just you know, be rolling like that. I'm sorry. So and, and Will Smith didn't slap him hard like he did, uh, uh, Chris Rock, no, he did, like, a, like, a, you know, by comparison, like, a pat on the cheek, and it wasn't, like, crazy, crazy, so, you know, like, you know, you know, that, that was fine, that was whatevers. With this at the Oscars, it's just, I'm still reeling from it, like, holy shit, like, th- this actually happened. Now, there are a multitude of theories that I personally could have. One of which is the the more sound one, the more realistic one that has an awful lot of, uh, like I said, history and a pedigree there. Which is that Will Smith. For those who read his book, I have not, but I have, you know, di- I did do my research as far as like seeing what people are saying on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, etc., where basically he he grew up in a background where. He was he, he he felt kind of helpless for not being able to protect some of his family. It's one of the kind of like one of the factors that led him to take up the role King Richard and where he found like his inspiration for the role and his his performance and what he brought to the table. And why he won. I mean, yeah, him winning for the performance was kind of like uh, like we saw it coming. And once he started to sweep up award after award, you know, SAG. Uh, Golden Globes, you know, you name it. It kind of made sense for him to win the Oscar. It's just such a shame, such a, a tragedy that this moment not only overshadows his own win, but has also overshadowed pretty much the rest of the fucking awards show. I mean, it's sad because we have... Our first, uh, one of our, I think, and I might be wrong on this, but our first male deaf actor winning an Oscar, best, you know, supporting actor, Troy Kotsur for Coda. We have our first openly queer woman of color winning best supporting actress for West Side Story, uh, Ariana du Bois. and then Jessica Chastain finally winning an Oscar after a multitude of of nominations. She's finally an Oscar winner. Take that, Grace Randolph, fucking bitch. <laughs> Okay, Um, because she really hates her for literally no reason, and and she's such a troll with that. She's so annoying with that. Um, So, yeah, you have these three winners getting the glow up, and yet there's very little coverage on them. Very, very little coverage and discussion on social media, on Twitter, because everyone's talking about Will Smith. And then Coda wins Best Picture. Jane Campion won Best Director one's talking about this no one's talking about now here's the deal the slap aside i did not watch the oscars but for those who did watch they said that even with the slap out of the picture what what happened with will smith a lot will come forward saying that the oscars were actually still shit to the point where bad clips were used for representing some of the movies Um, segments. And then, of course, the big thing, the the big thing that we already kind of knew going forward, but it's still bullshit was, of course, the cutting of those categories. I've covered this already on a a previous podcast episode back when the nominations were announced that some of those uh, categories were given before the telecast at five o'clock Pacific. uh, And some of them were like big heavy hitter awards, like best score. Fucking Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer won best Musical score for Dune, and you don't see that get televised. Why? Because we have to give the Snyder fans on Twitter more fuel by awarding you know most cheerworthy moment. Flash entering. Speaking of Flash, Flash entering the Speed Force in the Snyder cut. Really, really. Over the first of all, this is a pointless category or pointless segment in the show. But uh, uh, aside from that, secondly. You're going to, they're going to obviously, because of how, you know, how much of simps these Snyder fans are for Zack Snyder, you're obviously going to have these guys, you know, just weigh down that option versus a classic cinematic moment like Neo dodging the bullets in the original Matrix for 1999. Like that was one of the other nominees, quote unquote, in this category. But Flash entering the Speed Force in the Snyder cut. And then fan favorite movie is Army of Darkness, which just so... I mean, Army of Darkness, Army of the Dead, which happens to also be directed by Zack Snyder. What a coincidence. Yeah, fucking bullshit. And you're going to make time for these segments versus showing uh, the other categories like Best Live Action Short Film, Riz Ahmed winning, winning for that, Best Score, Hans Zimmer, uh Samuel Jackson receiving a lifetime achievement award uh Os- honorary oscar by Denzel, which was a great moment that i saw on twitter happen before you know the day before uh because it was recorded by someone and that was a great feel good moment but no you're going to have these pointless sizzles and th- that i did watch after the fact i didn't watch it live but i watched after the fact and i'm like yeah th- i'm not but now i'm starting to to go into the camp of like, do I even want to win an Oscar now? You know, when I get older, when I um, finally have a few years on me in this profession as director, like, is this really going to be worth it? I don't think so. I think, you know, I I really am just going to want to focus on just making movies. If I get nominated, sure, but this is no longer something that I would want on my resume anytime soon, really. Like it's just so many different factors it was that, and then i i after a few hours afterward, I ticket you know I go back into Twitter and finding out that a number of actual winners that were telecast were played off. Uh, I believe his last name, I can't remember his first name, but his last name is Hamaguchi. He was the director for Drive My Car. Haven't seen the movie, but everybody says that it's one of the best movies of the year. Uh, and seeing it get nominated for Best Picture made me go instantly, yeah, it's going to win Best uh, International Film, for sure. Uh, so when it did clean that award up, I was like, yeah, there you go. Now, hours later, you know, seeing it, you know, pop up in my Twitter feed, uh, the winner, Drive My Car for International Film. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense you know, hours later I'm finding out that apparently twice he tried to talk and they tried to play him off. They cut him off. uh, Guys. Yeah, like, uh, apparently there was just so... And then the people that were actually there, again, aside from the slap, there was just so much atmosphere that just felt kind of meh about the whole overall show. And, yeah... It it just seems like the Oscars are kind of on their way out. Now, is that going to happen anytime soon? Personally, I don't think so. It would, honestly, it, you know, in a perfect world, I would say they should go out at number 100. Give them five more years, but at 100 in 2028, during the centennial mark of the Academy Awards, they should just go out. I know that's going to sound sh- shitty because I know that a lot of uh, prospective filmmakers right now are thinking, you know, what about us? You know, if we want to win best actor, best actress, best director, best picture, whatever. But just look at the... the or, or or how about we meet in the middle? How about we just end the ceremonies? We still give out the awards, but end the ceremony. Like, don't let this be a, a thing because... You know why I didn't watch the show? Not only out of pro It was a mixture of things. Not only was it out of protest because they weren't showing all the categories and they were making all these decisions with the fan favorite category and all that bullshit, but also because it's on live television. And right now, the only way that I would have watched it is if, A... I would go and hijack one of my one of the TVs that is hooked up to the Spectrum box, which is either in the living room or in the subsequent room that I sleep at. Which, of course, at the time that the show was going live, was being watched by my dad. So I need to literally either kick my dad off or kick my mom off. And that combined with, like I said, my protest of the show of the show cutting out the categories, I'm like, it's not worth it. It's really not worth it. And then Amy Schumer's one of the hosts. Yeah, no thanks. <laughs> um, so. Different factors, just it was the sum of its parts, and just made me go, yeah, no, like, like that's the only way to really watch the show. If we were to go via a streaming app, I thought to myself, maybe Hulu because I know that they have a partnership with ABC. Yeah, the only way to do that is to upgrade to the live TV package, which is like an extra ten dollars to the Disney Plus bundle that my girlfriend's family is already paying for. I would have to tell them to, hey, add this thing for like ten dollars more. No, no, again, not worth it. It's really not worth it. So right now, if they really want to save these ceremonies, start streaming this shit. Go to YouTube, all right? I was going to say Twitch, but I don't think um, as far as like demographics are concerned, I don't think that really make much more sense. But YouTube for sure. YouTube. Just stream it to YouTube, the official Oscars YouTube channel. Live stream it. It's over. If you really want... I, I understand that I saw a statistic online saying that They went from like 10 million uh, watchers to 16 million, so they did get a bump up from last year's performance, especially by bringing back hosts, by uh, having the clips. Whenever the the acting Oscars were given out, the clips were back, so that was actually pretty good and nostalgic to see. But overall, I've been saying this for years. A lot of people have been saying this, and I'm right there with them, and I'm going to continue to say it. Live stream it online. No more of this, only on uh cable only on network TV bullshit. No. It's a new age. You really wanna bring in more viewers, live stream it on YouTube for free. I'm sorry, but live stream it. I know advertisers are gonna you know get all you know butthurt about it, but no. That that's the best way if you really want this show to really truly take off is to live stream it. If that doesn't happen or they don't make that conscious decision, I say cap it off at a hundred. Cause again with the Cutting out of these categories, putting in bullshit into the show to still keep it at the three hours with stupid sizzle reels with a montage of James Bond, which was a well-edited montage, but again, you're going to take that over, you're going to put that in the telecast over showing Hans Zimmer winning or Riz Ahmed winning best live-action short film or even all the other, you know, best uh, short documentary subject, best live, you know, animated short film, best sound, best editor, all these people's hard work paying off and you're not going to show it and they have, you know, family and friends need to resort to a cell phone clip? No. It's fucked up, all right? That time is done. Either live stream it on YouTube in its full entirety, presenting all the categories, or if you're going to continue making decisions of cutting out these categories and replacing it with a bunch of fluff, that doesn't make sense. Uh, No repercussions for incidents like the slap because as much as I like Will Smith, some repercussions needed you know, why was he not, you know, not necessarily arrested, but put into question by LAPD? Walking out, of the, walking out of the Oscars. Or why wasn't someone who's in charge of the venue g- g- look at Will and be like, yeah, you need to step out. Uh, uh, all right, it's like, it's like I was to go to a public area, I insult somebody, I get at the very, very least escorted out. But more than likely apprehended by police and questioned, like, hey, why did you do that? But no, that didn't happen because it's Will Smith. And that's the thing I don't have. I liked Will Smith. I really did. I follow him on Instagram. That's where I saw his apology first. but the Oscars are not going to take in, this into account. cutting out category all this other stuff like it, it really is it's going down the drain, and because of that, like I said, the ultimatum live stream the show on YouTube or cap it off at a hundred. You're already at ninety four next year's ninety five I would say five more years. You know, make it the best years that you could possibly make it uh, with these decisions in mind, because if this is the way things are going, make 100 the end-all be-all, and stop the ceremonies. Still, you know, still give out Oscars, sure, you know, still give out achievements in the film industry, because, you know, we need a, you know, recognition (laughs) to some extent, but the ceremony itself, as far as making it a big hoopla to dress to, nah, because at this rate, If I ever get nominated and the show continues to go down the toilet the way that it is, I'll just watch from TV, and if I win, just FedEx that shit. Now on to what I've been playing. So, last week I said that Triangle Strategy ended up not being what I was fully expecting. Thinking to myself that... Maybe I'm just going to give it till the end of the weekend, probably Sunday, to see if I'm really going to vibe with it the way that I wanted to and stick with it the way that I intended to because... Some of the characters weren't exactly gripping me. The plot was just kind of a lot of diplomatic talk. There's quite a bit of talking, really, to the point where in the, like, five or six hours that I've been playing, I've only been battling it out tactically and strategically for only about two or three times, really, and everything in between has literally just been dialogue and cutscenes. Albeit, it's with some really great pixel art that is mapped out on a, asymmetrical 3D setting, so seeing the aesthetics and seeing how it all just kind of unfolds has been great in terms of watching it, but I just know that it was the kind of game to really play at nighttime because it really felt like a game that I was, like, reading. It felt like I was closing up with a good book. But at the same time, it wasn't anything that was, like, riveting and was really standing out as far as a really uh, immersive gameplay experience. And even at one point, I thought to myself, okay, even if I'm not vibing with it by the end of the weekend, I told myself, like, is this maybe the kind of suitable game to play at nighttime? And then during the day, if I ever really have free time, because now with work getting a lot uh, tighter and a lot busier, um, I re- or I rarely play any video games during the day. Like it's literally just work during the day, whether it be work for actual work or work in terms of editing for the YouTube channel because I'm literally going back and forth between editing videos for the niche channel or editing and creating stuff for work for my actual job. So very these days, these past couple of weeks, I really haven't been playing all that much during the day. So uh, I rarely had a choice, but I told myself if I did have that choice, During the day, maybe I can play something that's a bit more action-heavy, something that's a bit more frenetic and kind of to the point. And then at nighttime, I could play something as cozy and as more uh, mellow as Triangle Strategy, considering that even though the battles themselves have been pretty good so far as far as, uh, you know giving you the right information, but at the same time not holding your hand and not being all that simplistic, but also at the same time not being excruciatingly difficult unless you ramp up the difficulty. I was like, okay, you know, it's doing all right. Then the game turned around and said, oh, you're, you're getting cozy? You're, you're, you're getting comfortable? It went up to me and smacked me the way that Will Smith smacked Chris Rock and said, BAM! Check this out, and out of nowhere, well okay, maybe not out of nowhere, because they were kind of planting, now looking back, they were planting some seeds in the background, especially if you do uh, activate some of the side events and side stories, because the game has these side stories that are completely optional, even the game tells you like, hey, if you proceed on with the main story, some of these side stories might not be available later on, because of the way that the story is kind of evolving and, and expanding, especially with certain points in the story that you can definitely not take back because the story then develops some teeth and some bite and shit has gotten dark <laughs> in a way where i'm like wait you? you know as jeremy gamer 2323 likes to say hey hold on like i was like whoa 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 what is going on the the, the the as the film industry likes to call it we've hit a turning point if you guys are a huge um people who study film and study screenwriting and whatnot, uh, you know that eventually there's this thing called an inciting incident or that turning point where the game, well, in this case, the game, but often the movie or the TV show finally lets you know that, yeah, you're not in the first act anymore. You're now in the second act where shit is getting heavy and the plot is thickening. And that's essentially what happened. finally happened here in Triangle Strategy. Now, as the time of this recording, I'm about 15 hours in. But this happens around the 9th or 10th hour mark. And I know that for a lot of people that might be... A little too much to stick with a game for it to finally get good that's not to say that the game was bad it was just like a a little bit of a slow burn hearing these characters talk with these with this kind of older much more nuanced uh language of uh, of english you know saying things like my betrothed and whatnot but then the game the game legit went all game of thrones where you have these houses plotting against each other you have one in particular kind of having ploys in the background. And then shit got bloody, dark, and and gothic to where main characters are dying. Some characters are even getting beheaded in in public. And I'm like, yo. <laughs> Granted, you know, it's with, with this pixel art aesthetic, this kind of uh, look with the uh, you know pixelized kind of characters and the two D background, then animating in three D as you kind of navigate the camera in the three dimensional asymmetrical space. But it's still tackling the story in a way that I'm not going to say it's on the same quality as Game of Thrones, but it's tackling uh, themes very akin to Game of Thrones as far as plotting the deaths of certain characters, manipulating and ordering people around. Specific characters are now becoming a bit more three-dimensional, just like the actual you know visual spaces. The, the characters that I was looking at going, eh, you know, like I said, a little bit of this dialogue is becoming a little bit trite, but over time I was like, Yo, I'm... I'm invested! What the hell is going on like after from the hour, like I said, five or six to like hour nine in the span of like three or four hours, especially over this past weekend where I was finally able to comfortably sit down with the game and actually absorb it, especially on Saturday. Saturday, I think over the course of the day, I mean, I had stuff to do, of course, but over the course of the day, I was finally able to get two and a half to three hour chunks throughout the day actually played of this game as opposed to just at nighttime for only like about an hour, hour and a half, aside from the parts that I've been busy but I was able to actually sit down with the game and absorb it like a sponge. And that's where it finally clicked with me. The game finally clicked. And the battles have also gotten tougher. I finally you know, got a game over a couple of times over the weekend. and But not in a way that's frustrating. But more so in a way where I'm like, yep, I made a mistake. I'm not making that same mistake. Similar to like when you lose in a chess game. You're like, okay, well, I'm not going to make that move again. And lo and behold, the second time you try that game, it works. It actually works, but at the same time, it doesn't feel so handholdy because I'm playing on normal difficulty, right? And I don't know if these circumstances change if you escalate the difficulty. But I know that at normal, when you get a game over and you lose a battle, you certain aspects of the game reset, like the positioning of your of your teammates and also the consumables that you used. But in terms of, like, the XP and the moves that your characters learned and the levels that your your team members that were inside of that game, the, those particular units that you used, uh, gained and leveled up on, that stuff actually remains. So, officially, even when you lose a battle, you're still gaining some kind of advantage. You're either leveling up your characters, gaining more experience, learning new moves... But in terms of like where you use those moves, where you place the units, where they're going to move and how they're going to use the consumables that then reset, that's still left up to you. It's not going to exactly hold that in place. So there's still room to grow while at the same time, the game not being excruciating, you know, not wasting your time, not making it seem like, oh, all that stuff that you worked uh, hard on is just not all for naught. Like the game often uses in, in its vernacular, it's all for naught. Uh, It it never really feels that way, at least in normal difficulty. I think it's possible that if you ramp up the difficulty to hard or very hard or like expert, then the game's going to start undoing your XP or undoing your levels and not hold that stuff and carry it on over to the next battle. I'm not quite there yet. I'm not necessarily the master tactician to be able to take on a difficulty mode uh, at that caliber. But in terms of just playing it on normal... Uh, yeah, it, it's striking that great balance to where, like I said, battles have felt challenging, but I'm learning as it goes along that eventually, by the second or third try, I'm beating it, and I'm beating it in a very satisfying manner—not in a way where I'm like, oh yeah, it, like like when these characters level up, they don't level up too crazy. Like uh, you're guaranteed to at least level up once per battle, but it's not—it's still not going to immediately immediately give you the uh, you know the winning hand. So. It's striking good balance as far as gameplay, but the uh, parts that it was lacking before as far as the story and the characterization. Oh yeah, man. I'm I'm learning, you know, th- different terminology and I'm memorizing the names of some of these characters and the different houses cuz I'm not going to lie. When I first started playing the game, those first couple of hours, the House of Wolffort and the House like right now, I just said the name. In those if you had asked me this in the first couple of hours I was playing the game, I probably wouldn't have remembered some of these names, but now I do. Now I'm invested. I'm invested into what Sarah Noah and Prince Roland. I would probably say Prince Roland is probably one of my favorite characters so far. Uh, Him along with Benedict. But then again, Benedict is just that uh archetypal mentor figure with a great voice that, again, I can't remember the actor's name, but I'm willing to bet money that it's Bixby from Wolf Among Us. Uh, aside from that, like I said, there are still some slight uh, imperfections as far as one or two characters still not having the strongest dialogue or the strongest voice acting. There's some actors where I'm like, I don't know if they were directed all that well. And still, it pops up from time to time. But again, a lot of things have been rectified in the past couple of hours, especially on that story and on that conflict that's got me invested. I'm actually legitimate in. I uh, So it's great to see that a lot of these things have taken a 180 that, yeah, I'm definitely gonna continue playing this game all the way to the very end. I'm like I said, as of right now, I'm about thirteen or fourteen hours into the game kinda coming up here on 15. And I think on average it's going to probably take me another 15 hours to beat it. I think it's, I saw a lot of places report that it takes about on average 30 to 35 hours to beat the game. So I'm going to try my best to beat the game by the time that we get to the next Dark Spider cast episode so I can give you guys my full thoughts. And I don't see myself dropping this or swapping this out. Like, I don't feel comfortable playing a different game. At the same time that I'm playing this, especially with how invested and much more nuanced the story has developed. Because, like I said, I told myself, this could fall into three tiers. Either A, unfortunately I'm dropping the game, if it doesn't invest me, and I'm going to have to return it to GameStop or trade it into GameStop. Uh, Tier B would have been like a Venn diagram kind of, a middle of the Venn diagram kind of tier where I'm like, okay, I'm invested enough to keep playing at night, but during the day I'm going to start up something new whether it be uh, potentially Elden Ring because of the game share that my friend was able to do with me on Xbox. So uh, I'll be able to finally play Elden Ring without having to pay for it, which is awesome. But um, yeah, potentially Elden Rings to finally get that out of the way or maybe Dying Light 2 or something else. I don't know. I, I really wasn't thinking about it. But then, of course, at the top of the list is tier, top tier, which thankfully the game has ascended to, which is that, hey, this I'm fully invested and this is the only thing I'm going to play. And if there's ever any time during the day where I'm free and I know that I'm ahead on schedule as far as editing videos or creating content for work, I can full on be like, you know what, I don't have any meetings. I don't, you know, I'm, I am completed everything that I need to. I don't have any obligations. Let me fire up Triangle Strategy and play at least an hour and a half to two hours of it it's ascended to that tier, where if I ever have free time during the day, I'm still going to be playing Triangle Strategy, and that's all I'm playing until I finally beat it and move on through. Because right now, unless it dips in quality as far as the story or pacing, uh, I'm fully invested to the point where I'm even still doing some of those side quests uh, or side events. That's probably the only thing that I... I can't really knock the game down, but I do kind of wish was a little bit more um, in... in um, Inconsistent in terms of consistency is much more you know side content that I can use to level up my characters. Now, like I mentioned, in normal difficulty, you can still level up by replaying uh, story events that or uh, story battles that you're losing. So eventually, you'll get better enough to beat the sto- the story uh, battles. But I kind of wish that there was like some side content where you can do optionally to do something that's maybe narrative driven but at the same time you can kind of use to farm out characters and level them up granted you could always go to your encampment and buy and sell stuff so that then you can level up your character's weapons or level up their uh their hp or their strength and their endurance and their defense and all that stuff and there's, and you know how many spaces they can move um in terms of your unit placements but I, I wish that there was some kind of side activity to help me farm that stuff some kind of third avenue that I can play while I listen to a podcast or I listen to some training or I listen to something else that I can just kind of do in the background. You know what I'm saying? Um, So far, it hasn't scratched that itch, but as far as everything else, it has heavily improved. So I'm definitely going to be sticking with triangle strategy and hopefully by this time next week, I would have beaten it and I'll give you guys my final thoughts then. And just like clockwork, there it is. The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild sequel has been delayed to uh, 2023, or specifically spring of 2023. I have the article here, of course, from our good friends at IGN. The sequel to The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild has been delayed to spring 2023. We got a tiny piece of footage in return, because Nintendo... (laughs) Is it just me, or it's always Nintendo? Nintendo. It's always Nintendo the one that always, whenever they delay a game or something, they push something. They always be like, "Yeah, but here's some new footage. Here's some new footage." Just, it's like, it. it but but when other studios do it, I'm sorry. I, I'm I'm I haven't even gotten into the crux or the main meat of this story. But whenever they do that, it's like a little subjugation for the Nintendo fans to be like, oh, okay, that, that's it. Get it. I guess it's good, I guess it's good, but when other studios do it, now, I don't get uh, annoyed with any delay, with any video game delay of any platform, of any developer, I go, hey, delay can only mean that the game can get better, and if it doesn't get any better, then when the game releases and it looks, and it runs terribly, then we can then complain and, and talk about that, that at that moment, but... Whenever I hear news of a delay, I, 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 my in, gut instinct is always to say, Hey, this is going to help the game be better but the majority of the masses sometimes gets frustrated with certain developers but with Nintendo it's always like okay guys it's okay it's like a it's like a parent wherever their like youngest does something but they're like oh no it's all right but when the oldest does the exact same thing they get like the chunk and <laughs> they get spanked or they get reprimanded or, or or something it just it just reminds me of that scenario and I feel like one of the things that helps Nintendo in this case is that they always show new shit whenever they announce the delay of something or or something getting pushed or whatever. But I digress. Legend of Zelda has been delayed specifically to Spring, so they now have a, a window. We have the series producer IJ Oh, Numa. I knew I was going to butcher that. This is right here in the IGN article. Announced and apologized for the delay in a video uh, saying, In order to make this game's experience something special, the entire development team is continuing continuing to work diligently on this game. So please wait a while longer. No specific reason was given for the delay. And then they release a clip. It shows... Uh, it's funny because people are saying that it might not be Link. Even though it kind of looks like Link. But a lot of people are saying that there's little like details on him that makes it seem like maybe this might be Link or an incarnation of Link holding a broken master sword. And he's also got like tattoos. His hair, I feel. I feel like to me it's his hair. His hair looks a little like a hue darker. And because of that, I'm like, okay, it could either be a different incarnation. It's definitely Link, but I, I'm i not going to rule out the possibility of being a different incarnation of Link specifically. But I'm not going to go as far as to say that he's a completely different character like Shikis to Zelda or something of, of that nature. Um, besides that, though, you know, it just shows the footage of him looking, with the sword looking cool and all that stuff. Uh, other than that, though, I call this, I, I'm sorry, I'm not going <laughs> to, I, I normally don't boast this way. But I remember the, the weekend, March... No, February 27th, I believe. I remember that weekend. As soon as that Pokemon new generation got announced during that Pokemon event, Scarlet and Violet specifically, and I showed it off to my girlfriend. And as we're watching it, and it said right there, Holiday 2022. I immediately... I didn't say it out loud, but in my brain, I'm like, Breath of the Wild 2 is not coming out this year. <laughs> it's not. Because for a game of that scale of that nature to release to get pushed up cuz nintendo's not known to cannibal- cannibalize themselves that quickly and zelda is definitely a heavy hitter for a holiday se- season if it hasn't already been released early in the year you know what i'm saying if they don't release something early in the spring like they did the original breath of the wild with the switch back in march of 2017 then it's going to come out for the holiday season so they can make that bank so being that Scarlet and Violet, the new Pokemon games, were taking up that slot, my my gut instinct was immediately to say, yeah, it's not going to come out this year because there's no way they're releasing this in the summer. They're not pushing it up because a game of this scale, it needs more time in the oven. They're not going to push it up. They're not going to surprise drop us here in February to say, oh, yeah, the game comes out in about four months. Are you kidding me? Nintendo doesn't work that way. They didn't work that way with the, Breath of the, the original Breath of the Wild. They're not going to work that way with the sequel. Uh, so immediately I was like, yeah, that shit's gonna get pushed. And plus, in the summer, uh, some other good little uh, titles are dropping for the for the Switch. To be kind of coy here, you have the Mario Strikers, the new Mario Strikers coming out to battle something I can't remember what the, la- the subtitle is. But you have a new Mario Strikers g- game coming out to the Switch. Wii Sports, or now as it's being called, Nintendo Switch Sports. And then of course Splatoon Three, which I think is also set for the summer of 2022 or fallish. I- I'm banking it's gonna be like around July or August. But that game drops. So you already have a pretty good succession of games to come exclusively and natively to the Switch. There was just no room for Breath of the Wild. So it. there's an awful lot of theory and speculation as to why it is that it got delayed. I mean, the textbook reason is, of course, that it needs more development time. COVID is still technically a pandemic and it's still um, doing things to game development as far as having people work from home and those um, circumstances causing a strain as far as deliverables, as far as, you know, somebody communicating with another person to get assets sent over so they can work on them at home, et cetera, et cetera. Especially when it comes to areas like China and Japan. I, I recently heard that China I think got hit with a new wave of a new variant. So they're having, like, I, not too long ago I saw a headline of something saying that they got their most, their, their worst outbreak since the the COVID, for, the original COVID broke out back in, like, Uh, winter uh, or December of 2019 or something like that. So, yeah, they don't take things as for granted as we Americans do because right now I'm going to places like the gym. Whenever I go out in public, I'm still wearing my mask. Even though I'm fully vaccinated, I still wear my mask. And yet I'm going to the gym and I'm going to Target and I want to say about 75% of the people inside the building are not wearing masks anymore. And God only knows how many of them are even vaccinated, because let's just say that I know that we shouldn't judge on appearances, but based on some appearances, I can tell that some of them don't believe, don't believe in that vaccine, if you will. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, yeah, I'm still wearing my mask because even though I'm careful with vaccination and with proper hygiene, other people aren't. And the the culture over there overseas is definitely a lot stricter, a lot tighter, and I respect them for that an awful lot. So that could be a, a reasoning as to the delay. However, going back into the quote here, uh, as, uh, he, as the director or the, the series producer was mentioning, uh... In order to make this game's experience something special, the entire development team is continuing to work diligently on this game. So, it's a very good sentence because it could cover what I just mentioned, which is that the game simply just needs more development time. But, it could also somewhat feed into the theory that I have. Which, which, you know, aside from what I was already knowing about before the confirmation of this delay that it was going to get pushed after the announcement of Pokemon, they didn't want to release something cl- so close to Pokemon. But then the other one is, and I'm sorry if some of you are already sick and tired of hearing of this thing, but it's going to come up again. And it's already trending on Twitter as we speak. The Switch Pro. They want this to be released with the Switch Pro, possibly spring 2023. I mean Breath of the Wild sold gangbusters and sold an awful lot of units with the original Switch. In fact, I think more excuse me, more people bought the Switch version of Breath of the Wild than the Wii U version and I personally know people, I was almost on, actually, you know what, I take it back, I think I, I am one of those people that bought Breath of the Wild without actually even owning a Switch, <laughs> we didn't even own a Switch, uh, I didn't buy it day one, I remember buying it holiday of that year, holiday 2017, there was a sale, that was like a $10 markdown on a limited, was it a limited edition or some kind of edition of Breath of the Wild that came with like this little, um guide to enemies this little hardcover book and a little cloth i don't think it was a cloth map but it was like a cloth feeling kind of paper map of hyrule from breath of the wild it was like this packet that was exclusive to um to uh walmart i believe and but they had they were marking down ten dollars off of it and i bought it but i didn't have a switch this was holiday of 2017 so i'm one of those people even though i didn't buy day one back in march I know some people that did buy Breath of the Wild when it came out in March, but they didn't get the Switch because they were a little tighter on that money. So I was like, why the f- why would you do that? And I was one of those people. It took me a, a, you know, almost a whole full year later, but I did buy Breath of the Wild sometime in November of that year. And then in February or March of 2018, I finally picked up the Switch. So... Who's to say that that's not the reason for why Breath of the Wild 2 got de- delayed? It's probably going to be cross-platform. They're going to release it on both Switch, but also potentially Switch Pro. Am I calling it? Am I book it? telling you guys to book my theory right now? Not necessarily. But my radar, the needle in my radar is inkling towards that, that theory. That there is a Switch Pro being worked on right now. Again, those rumors are coming back. But, and this delay kind of helps it a little bit, that they want this to be released hand-in-hand with the Switch Pro so that they can move those units and make sure that it's working just fine with it. And, I gotta be honest, with a game like Breath of the Wild 2, it is time. I I, I, I remember Jeremy, the Gamer2333, saying himself as well... I don't want to play this on the original Switch, especially since I still technically own. I just said right now, I bought my Switch in 2018, which means that my version is the original 2017 version, aka the original one with the original battery and the original processor, not the upgraded one with the better battery, let alone the OLED. So, yeah, I definitely don't want a Breath of the Wild uh, 2 to run on the original Switch. I, I'm pretty sure they're going to try to also make sure that it runs uh pretty uh competently on that older hardware but it's got to be optimized for that new hardware if these are truly their intentions because it, it i would like for my experience of breath of the wild 2 to run on that smoother hardware if the rumored specs of the switch pro especially with that nvidia leak are you know legitimate then Breath of the Wild 2 definitely needs to be running like a much more current game. And when I say current game, I'm not talking PS5 or Series X. I'm talking like early to mid PS4, Xbox One on a much more upgraded Switch hardware. And that is definitely a worthy upgrade for a tentpole of a game like Breath of the Wild 2. So I would say that this delay, yeah, like I said, delays always help out a game. But in this particular circumstance, if it is going hand-in-hand with the Switch Pro, like I'm theorizing, then I'm hoping that they're optimizing... That's probably the reason, is that they're optimizing that next-gen Switch version as opposed to the current Switch version. And possibly, if it wasn't for that, it would have released Holiday 2022. Now, with it being out of this year's slot, a lot of people are already calling it, oh yeah, Elden Ring winning. Elden Ring is winning. Well, let's wait on that God of War Ragnarok. But if Breath of the Wild 2 can get delayed, so can Ragnarok, so... All that we can really do right now is wait. And we're ending the podcast on two subsequent news that both happen to have to do with subscription services. Ain't that a motherfucker? (laughs) Uh, One is probably the most... uh, titillating one, and then another one is just downright fucking egregious and and disgusting. In fact, let's let's not end it on a negative note. We opened on on a negative note with the passing of Taylor Hawkins. Let's not end it that way. So let's get the bad out of the way. Rockstar just continues to milk the ever-living shit out of GTA to the point where... I honestly think that EA has been dethroned as one of the worst companies. I, f- I legitimately starting to feel like Rockstar is just becoming ever more shameless in how much they are, you know, quite self aware. And we know that they're self aware. That Rockstar is just a humongous moneymaker, and people are just going to continue buying the living shit out of it, whether it be the different iterations of GTA V with, that's literally now nine years old. I'm sorry if I'm yelling into the microphone and I'm peaking audio here, but it really is crazy. It really is legitimately fucking insane that a nine year old game not only does not have a free upgrade in case you want to upgrade from the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One versions to the Xbox Series X and PlayStation 5 versions for 60 uh, FPS and a couple of, you know, polished textures, but other than that, you know, everything else is still the same for the core game. Sure, you know, people's devil's advocate right now is going to be like, oh, it's on sale right now. You only have to pay $10 for the PS5 or $20 for the Series X. You shouldn't have to pay at all. I'm sorry, but I don't care how much small amount of money it is. I've said this already and I've already tackled this in prior episodes, but I don't think when other companies have set the bar by offering free upgrades, as soon as you charge, it doesn't matter how much you charge. You could charge a dollar, two dollars. I'm sorry, the optics are officially going to be, you're just after money. And that's pretty much what GTA is doing, not only with those free upgrades, but also with a brand spanking new membership service inside of GTA Online called GTA Plus. Everyone's got a plus, now they have it. And speaking of prices, yeah, it's only $6 a month. Subscribe for $6 a month and you get shit within GTA online. This is an article here from indianexpress.com that's, oh no, yeah, indianexpress.com that's literally the name of this website only because I couldn't really find any other articles for some reason. Every time I pulled this up on on uh, Google, really. I just searched up GTA Plus on Google, and this is one one of the first ones that started to actually give me information. I couldn't really find the IGN or GameSpot articles for some reason. But here we have Indian Express with the article, Rockstar Games, and I'm quoting here, has unveiled GTA Plus, a paid subscription program for GTA Online. The service is slated to launch on March 29th, so I just did recently. Exclusive on PlayStation 5 and Series X consoles. Series X and S, so it's not last gen. Bringing a plethora of benefits to both new and longtime players. Priced at $5.99, players will receive monthly rewards starting with a recurring deposit of $500,000 in game currency, so obviously not real, to their maze bank accounts, alongside opportunities to claim estates and other content people might have missed out during previous updates. Until April 27, which marks the end of first month membership, players receive the Prince. Princip. Princip. Debest 8. I, I, I don't know what this is. A prominent hypercar featured in GTA Online. Alongside the house special works upgrade to customize into their own liking. The auto shop located in La Mesa, and this is all in game stuff by the way, I'm not making this these names up, also received some gameplay updates allowing shop owners in game to relocate to the district. So it's just a bunch of like meta stuff like, oh, you get to own this particular house, you get this a certain amount of in game currencies. Just so that they can nickel and dime. And again, $5.99. I know that on paper, that doesn't sound so bad. $6. But it fucking adds up. It adds up. And it's a subscription service. It's going to be reoccurring. And I remember something that I actually wasn't really thinking about until I finally... And I'm glad that I... Caught wind of this, but via other sources. But I remember not only uh, Rich of Review Tech USA tackling this, but also uh, Bob and Will of the Wolf Dem podcast. Recently, they tackled the GTA Plus description. And one interesting point that I, th- I feel like I could have gone over my head is that even though GTA 5, and GTA Online is an M-rated game. There's no fucking way that only mature people or mature aged people are playing this game. You also have kids out there playing this game because their parents don't give a fuck about the ESRB ratings. So they bought their kid this game because it's GTA. They probably want to play it for themselves, except like Will and Bob brought up, mainly Will who the fuck knows if these kids have access to their, their parents' bank uh, account numbers or their credit card numbers or it's you know, already auto-filled in into the system and they look at this thing and be like, I could get $500,000 on, oh, it's only $6 a month, that's not bad. Not realizing that the parent is probably paying for a uh, paying for a bunch of other subscriptions throughout the month like Netflix, uh, Amazon Prime, etc. You name it, uh, along the d- traditional utilities. So it adds up. All right, eventually they're going to see that $6 account, uh, $6 charge, and like I said, it adds up to, in a way where it's like why are you even uh, paying for this stuff? It's negligent and it's it, it speaks for itself. It, it it really really does. And almost everybody on Twitter anonymously con- uh, condemned this, but Rockstar of course being Rockstar they're not going to pull back. They 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 haven't changed their, their mind. They haven't redconned ret- ret- anything. I know other companies have gone back on certain things. Um Xbox for example, I think recently was trying to make a a movement to try to remove the sharing feature on Xbox to share to Twitter and then they backtracked on that because they listened to people's outcry. Rockstar's not going to listen to anyone's outcry. They're not going to listen to anybody. They're Rockstar. They li- they Rockstar ha- developed a system When it comes to game development where they announce something and then that's it. They go back into hiding. They're the original ones. They would do that all the fucking time. And to an extent, they're still doing it, except they're doing it with shit that we don't want. Still relying on GTA 5 and GTA Online, shit that has been literally out there for a decade. And sure, they're like, oh yeah, we're developing GTA 6. But we're probably not going to see that game for another two or three years. Four at the best and maximum. Come on, man. Like I said, R- Rockstar, it's its a shame of what they become. It's a true tragedy because old school Rockstar with the Bully games, maybe even as far as, well, um, not, not so much as far, but as most recent as Red Dead Redemption, I would probably say that's the golden era. That was the golden era of Rockstar from 2000 to 2010. We had Bully, GTA 3, 4, San Andreas, uh, Vice City, and then the original Red Dead Redemption. And hell, I'll even throw in Red Dead Revolver in there. And maybe, because even though it t- came, technically came out in 2011 and they didn't really develop it, Team Bondi did. But I would say they overlooked the project, uh, so they're, they kind of had a foot in there. L.A. Noir, And that's it. After that, then we got GTA V. And GTA V's release by itself was, of course, an eventful release. However, here I am almost 10 years later, and I still stand by my opinion that I actually prefer GTA 4 over 5. Sure, the, game, the actual gameplay mechanics and the shooting system is a lot more refined in GTA 5, but as far as story and the world and just the satirical uh, lens put on in the world of GTA in the Grand Theft Auto series, GTA 4 handled it better than 5 did, in my opinion. So, to see that GTA 5 is now getting dragged through the mud by their own developers... It's just, like I said, a huge, huge tragedy, and again, it's the principle of the matter, and it's also the reason why I haven't even pulled the trigger on the on the upgrade. I know it's only $10, and for $10, I, I do have the PS4 version. That's why the only thing that I technically did rebuy out of GTA V is that, yes, I did get the PS4 version. Didn't get it right away. I think I got it on sale for like $30 instead of the full uh, 50 or 60 that it was when it got ported over. But I stopped it there, and I have not put any more money into anything that's GTA Online or GTA 5 related. And I'm won't go. i not going to. Like I said, I know that, that this uh, upgrade right now is cheap, but I'm not going to do it because it's the principle of the matter, and I'm going to vote for my wallet. And also, this gives me an excuse to save up for the PlayStation Plus new revamped subscription service, a.k.a. The Spartacus uh, release. So, you know how they were long rumoring that there was going to be a quote-unquote Game Pass competitor to Xbox coming from Sony PlayStation to kind of rival uh, not only that subscription service, but also migrate PlayStation Plus and PlayStation Now together. It has finally been revealed in the form of the On new PlayStation Plus, so they're not going with Spartacus, but hey, they ever go with codenames these days. And it's a revamp version, pretty much confirming all of those things, but also giving more details into the pricing and the tiers and what comes in each tier. And it's pretty much a full breakdown. I'm actually kind of surprised they didn't do like a state of play for this, but they just kind of released that as a blog. And here I have the IGN article quoting it. Sony has finally revealed its X- X- Xbox Game Pass competitor, an all-new PlayStation Plus that brings together the existing PS Plus and PS Now into a three-tier subscription service that includes up to 700 games and access to retro games. Retro games at the top tier. It will open for some markets in June and roll out worldwide regionally after that. I imagine that one of those markets has to be U.S. U.S. and Japan. For sure, and then after that, it's probably going to be the rest of Europe and Asia uh, over the course of the couple of the preceding months. After months of reports and even longer being speculated speculated about, especially being reported by Bloomberg, Sony finally revealed the new service today. That was a couple of days ago. In fact, it was actually around the time that GTA Plus uh, released. It consists of three tiers, PlayStation Plus Essential, PlayStation Plus Extra, and PlayStation Plus Premium. Why did it go with Silver, Gold, and Platinum like their trophy system? I have no fucking clue, because that would have been perfect. As part of the move, PS Now will be closed down, with members migrated to the Premium tier with no charge prices at launch. So let me see if there's like a... Oh, here we go. Alright, so I'm going to go ahead and skip ahead on the articles to a little table here that pretty much has the three tiers. So starting off from the bottom now we okay essentially essential PlayStation Plus essential which is the basic tier of this whole endeavor is the same as PlayStation Plus service that currently exists with no changes to the current pricing actually that kind of sums it up playstation plus essential is pretty much ps plus as it is right now so whatever price you're paying for either monthly or every three months or every year i'm on the yearly plan which is 60 bucks this one's going to be 60 bucks so it's literally the exact same thing it includes two monthly downloadable games discounts saved game cloud storage and access to online multiplayer for most games so essentially playstation plus as it is right now you get to play online you get the free games every month the two ps4 and then one ps5 Uh, even though right here it says two monthly games, so I don't know if they're doing away with something. I think one of the games is technically PS4 and PS5 combined. Uh, The discounts, the additional discounts that you sometimes get in the PlayStation Store, so whenever there's a sale and you get even more of a sale if you're a PS Plus member, and then, of course, the cloud storage. So that that one's pretty easy and pretty self-explanatory. PlayStation Plus Essential is literally the exact same as PS Plus as it is right now, as you've always known it. We then start to change it up a bit when we get into the next two tiers, starting with PlayStation Plus Extra, this is Tier 2. The Extra tier includes all essential benefits and adds a catalog of around 400 PS4 and PS5 games that can be downloaded at any time while you're a member. It includes first-party and third-party games, but none new exclusives will launch into the service. And I that, that's a little bit of an asterisk, and I'll talk about it in a second. But in the U.S., it will cost $14.99 monthly, $39.99 quarterly, and $99.99 yearly. And in the U.K., it will cost $10.99 pounds monthly, $31.99 pounds quarterly, 83 99 yearly pounds. No Australia prices have been announced at the time of the writing. So, Plus Extra gives you pretty much the actual... I guess you could say functionality that Game Pass is known for of having that giant library of those first-party and third-party games that you can play on the system that are available on the system. However, here at the at the towards the end, no new exclusives will launch into the service, AKA let's say that God of War Ragnarok does in fact come out this year because I gotta be honest there's a tiny little part of me that believes it's not going to it's gonna get delayed I feel which if it does then Elden Ring has game of the year locked I'm sorry I doubt anything's gonna come even that close but with that said in mind Extra is really just that. You get extra. So you get the essential stuff, but you also get these 400 PS4 and PS5 games, which is pretty cool. I I do hear that they're adding Returnal and the original God of War and a couple of other ones, but day 1 releases like God of War Ragnarok coming out later on this year it's not going to be in there next year when Marvel's Spider-Man 2 or the year after that or the or whenever it comes out Wolverine that's not dropping on the this PlayStation Plus extra service you're, you're, you're if you want to play the game day 1 you have to go out and buy it, whether it be digital or physical, and that's it. Maybe then further out in the future it might come to the service, but if you want that timely exclusive of being able to play it day one, you have to buy it. So without Before even going into the third tier, this little caveat pretty much cements that this is not 100% the Game Pass equivalent, because guess what, Game Pass does have games day one, that's one of the reasons why I'm looking forward to so many releases this year, Redfall, uh, Plague Tale Requiem, um, Hellblade 2, uh, Senua Saga, you know, and a, and a plethora of other games that are, da- oh, Starfield, fuck, Starfield, and then last year we had Halo Infinite, all of those games were day one, so, technically, you could buy them if you don't have th- that service, or if you're on Game Pass and you continue paying a year or a month for Game Pass Ultimate, boom, it's there. Like, it's, it, it, that's what makes it such a banger of a deal, and right now, PlayStation is already throwing in that caveat that makes them look just a, just a little greedy, even though the 400 games is not a bad deal breaker you know what i'm saying like it, that that it's not it's not right now it's not great but it's not bad either so far that that caveat stinks but knowing that there's probably a couple of other stuff that i otherwise would have missed and i haven't bought up until this point now i'll have, I'll have access to and that's pretty cool to hear then we go on to playstation plus premium this is the premium top tier service tier number three Premium of, cl- of course includes all the essential and extra benefits and adds 340 extra games to the catalog, including, and these are the biggies, PS1, PS2, and PSP games for streaming and download. So you can actually download them natively to your console and play them directly from there as long as you have this system active. PS2. Oh my God. Jack and Daxter trilogy. Um, uh, maybe if they throw in Dragon Ball Z Budokai 3 in there, oh my god, like, that would be legitimately awesome. Playing the original, well, no, I was gonna say the original versions of GTA San Andreas and Vice City, but I, I doubt Rockstar's gonna let that, uh, slip by, since they're also the topic of discussion right now. Uh, PSP games is also another big one, because there's, uh, the PSP was in this household for a limited amount of time because my younger brother got it, but as soon as he moved out, uh, he took it with him, and I was never re- really able to play those games. Plus, I don't know what it is at the time, but when it came to handhelds, I was all about Nintendo. Now I'm kind of reversed. Now I'm trying to, like, balance between the DS and the P- PS Vita. Would have been nice to have Vita games here, that uh, but at the same time, I don't think they ruled it out. I, I have a theory that eventually Vita games will come to the service, but for now, they're starting off with PSP, uh, which you know chronologically makes sense, and I know that on PSP is a little game called Crisis Core, Final Fantasy VII Crisis Core, and now this could potentially be on that service for streaming and downloading. Now, one little uh, generation here that a lot of people were inquiring about PS3. Well, here it says PS3 games will also be available, but only to stream. Streaming can can be carried out on PS4, PS5, and PC. Premium members will also receive time-related trials of some games. Hmm. In the US, it will cost $17.99 monthly, $49.99 quarterly, and then $119.99 yearly. So if it boils when it boils down to, you have to pay double what you're paying right now to get to go from essential to premium. So if I'm paying $60 a year right now for basic PS Plus, to go premium, double it. But you get access to PS1, PS2, PSP, PS4 and PS5 games that are like, like I said, I think, a little over 700, so starting off 740. And thrown in there in the mix is PS3 games. However, they have to be streamed. They're, you can't download them, streamed. And I think a lot of us are pretty uh, uh, res- resilient to the fact of streaming games right now, because it's not you know the concept is still not perfect, especially for people who don't have great internet. I, for one, the internet service itself is pretty good as far as downloading and upload, uh, uploading uh, speeds. But ever uh, recently, the slightest bit of inclement weather and in my spectrum drops. Like, it cuts out. Like, it doesn't drop in terms of speed. No, like, it cuts out. I don't have service. So say, for example, if one of these days it, I'm in this tier and I want to play a PS3 game, I'm playing it, and then something happens with spectrum where they cut it out. And sometimes it's not even with weather. Sometimes it late at night, like at 10 o'clock at night, it just cuts out. And so many times I was trying to upload a video and I got pissed. Uh, we're still in the midst of tr- t- talking to my mom about like which service to switch to because we are legitimately thinking about switching. But at the same time, like, like I said, whenever this happens, what if I'm st- wanting to stream a game? That's going to cause a whole crux of problems, especially since there are quite a few PS3 games that I would like to revisit, most notably Infamous. Infamous, and, and this is basically where... The PS Now side of things that are being migrated over to comes into play is PS3 games having to be streamed. The uh, the other generations, PS1, PS2, and PSP can be streamed, but they can also be downloaded. So that's good to hear. And that's why a lot of people are discussing online, like, why do we need to stream PS3 games? And there's been, like, two sides of the equation. Some people are saying that PS3 was made for... A, a systems architecture that was just kind of a little bit defunct and the PS3 and PS5's uh, architecture is just so far removed or m- so far moved ahead that it's difficult to, you know, have it stream natively. I don't know, like, there's so much, like, technical talk that, to me, still legitimately did not make sense. And some other people on the other side of the argument are saying, yeah, it doesn't make sense. You, just, you should still be able, like, lower-grade PCs... Are able to emulate PS3 games, you know, as long as they have a decent enough graphics card. And when they say decent enough, we're not talking necessarily about a hundred, or even a 2000, like a, a 15, 1050s, 1060 or whatever. And they're able to emulate PS3 games. Might not be at the highest quality, but it can do it. So that's why a lot of people are saying, why can't the PS5 do that? It, it, it does not legitimately make sense. Why does it have to be streamed? So that is a bummer. I will say, however, that the value, the actual content, and the number of content, the quantity as opposed to quality of how many games you can get in the service is actually $120 worth, unfortunately. (laughs) How I'm putting it, unfortunately, it is worth the value. The big question mark, though, is what are those games? Remember the last time they announced something that was going to come with a bunch of games, but they neglected to tell us until the very last second? It was the PS Classic. Remember the little mini PS1, little mini retro console? Yeah, and look how that turned out. So hopefully they got until June. Uh, We're practically done with March. It's already April. So let's say that it's April. They got about two months. And I'm willing to bet that this is probably going to come out towards the end of June. I don't think it's even going to open the month with this. It's probably going to be in the latter part of June so that they can enter the back half of the year to kind of start analyzing how many people are up for the subscription service, take tallies, take surveys, break down the numbers, if you will. So, they got until, I would say, the end of May-ish, beginning of June-ish, to hopefully tell us what are some of the games that are going to be coming, or at least one of the, some of the franchises. Maybe you don't have to mention each individual game, but cover like some very staple franchises to give us a reason to sign up for the subscription services. I know a lot of people are hankering for new Sly Coopers, so maybe put all the Sly Cooper games on there. Uh, definitely the old school God of War games. Uh, Jack and Daxter, like I just mentioned, just so many resistance. Oh, okay, that now we're talking resistance, the original kill zone. So, yeah, there, there's definitely room for opportunity here, but it really comes down to the games. Just like when we talk about E3, when we talk about conventions, when we talk about showcases, it's not just the services, we have to talk about games. And I would say that right now, it, it doesn't sound too bad. Either of these tiers, these three tiers for the new PlayStation Plus subscription service. And frankly, let's see where I am financially. Let's say, hypothetically, this job is still going through. Like I said, right now, I'm a resident at this current job. But say they make me the offer to stay full time and they even give me a raise. Hypothetically, pure hypothetical. If I am still in that position come June, yeah, I'll probably upgrade. Now, I'll just have to determine which one I want to upgrade to the premium or the extra because right now i will probably say without knowing what the games are for ps1 ps2 and psp i will probably say the extra is just a little bit more stimulating so 40 dollars more but but at least i know that the ps400 ps4 and ps5 games and they can be downloaded at any time downloaded is the big thing for me where i could just be like because that's what i do with game pass so many, uh, so many times I see something that with artwork that really intrigues me. I'm like, oh, what is this? I open the the game card to read the synopsis, read when the game came out, how big is it, and if everything you know falls in line with what I'm liking, I'm I download it. I start downloading even if I'm not gonna be playing it anytime, anytime soon. I download it, and that gives me an incentive to want to play it later, so that not only is it already. In my inside of my system, but also I can look at it as a motivator to be like, hey, the sooner you get to playing this, the sooner you can delete it so you can download other stuff so I can look at PlayStation Plus extra the same way. And because of that, I would say that that one is probably the most stimulating right now. But but come June, if we can get some more information as to what specific PS1, PS2, and PSP games are coming to premium, then maybe I could be swayed to take the latter instead. So for now I, I will say that the news around this new subscription service is not too bad. It is still technically a little underwhelming versus Game Pass. Game Pass I would I'm honestly still going to give them the winning point, the winning uh, score so far. So it really, again, boils down to what games PlayStation is going to be willing to bring to the service. Maybe later on in the future, they can drop a hint that maybe Vita games will be coming as well. Uh, that would be pretty sick. And if they can sweeten up that deal even better, then maybe I can see this as a legitimate Game Pass competitor. But right now, with no day one releases, that does sting enough to give the winning vote over to Game Pass. With that said, I kind of want to hear from you guys. I don't know if you guys can post comments on a podcast, but if you can, let me know what you guys think about the PlayStation Plus, the all-new PlayStation Plus subscription service that's going to be launching in June, and it's going to be migrating PS Now and PS Plus together. Uh, Is it worth it, or do you think you're going to wait off and just keep it to the essentials for the standard pricing that you have going on right now? Is it the definitive Game Pass killer? If I'm able to, I'll try to pose that question in the form of a comment via Anchor.fm because I know it has that feature, and that way hopefully I can hear from some of you guys. With that said, I'm going to go ahead and end the episode there. Thank you guys for tuning in to Episode 7 of Season 3 of the Dark Spider cast. It was a pretty good one, pretty beefy one. It's funny because of how beefy and how much discussion there was, even though there weren't really as many topics as there were last week, but eh, we got some significant stuff to, to chew on this week. Uh, so hopefully I'll tune in to you guys next week with my final thoughts on triangle strategy and see what other news break out out of the movie and video game industry and find out whether or not Will Smith will get banned from the Academy. And also, uh, at the very last second here, I learned that unfortunately... Uh, the, the week just gets more dour when it comes to the movie industry, in the form of Bruce Willis announcing his retirement from acting due to a aspiosis. I think it's, I'm probably butchering the name, but a diagnosis that's causing like a speech impairment or being able to like cognitively speak and, and form words and stuff like that. So I can definitely see that being a struggle. Um, and, and it is a bummer, but uh, at least he's still with us. And technically, we could still say, hey, you were badass as John McLean and that's pretty much my my greatest uh, you know kind of accolade for him is that between that and Unbreakable I would say those are like my two favorite performances so best of wishes to Bruce Willis um, and things going on in the background there Uh, my condolences to the Taylor Hawkins family uh, but outside of that, thank you guys for listening once more. Be sure to check me out in the links for the description as far as the official website, the new niche Batman and Spider-Man channel, which is taken off very uh, very well and it's doing rather well, as well as following me on social media platforms, if you will, uh, uh, over at Twitter, as well as Instagram at DarkSpiderDavid, or you guys can just li- simply just click on the links in the description and it will take you there. Otherwise, guys, thank you for supporting. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week. Take care and stay humble.